The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. There's a lot happening today. I mean, for lots of people, and I know that for myself included, our minds can wander, we can be distracted. Some of you are already thinking about what happens after the service, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to go, how long the car ride will be. Right? You're thinking those thoughts, and I understand that. But let me encourage you for the next few moments that we focus and concentrate on what we're doing this morning. We're gathering together as believers to honor the Lord's Supper today. And may we, by his grace, put everything else out of our hearts and minds and focus on Jesus. Okay? Okay? All right, all right. You worry me this morning. I started with Sunday school, and I thought, oh, they're dead. And then I came in here and thought, they're sleepy, all right? So pay attention on purpose, because I know that the text that we're in this morning is not your traditional communion text, nor is it a text that you would use for junior church. And so, listen to what's being said. Stay with me this morning. We will not be long. We'll be to the point. But there is a point to be made. And just let you know in advance, the point to be made this morning is that God calls his people to holiness. He calls us to cleanliness, spiritually. And this table reminds us of that, and the text will as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, this morning, we'll just read the first eight verses. Verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much mentioned or named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And you're puffed up. And if not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from from among you. For I verily, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, Let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. The church of Corinth, a mess. A mess. Here was a church that believed that they were mature in their faith, and yet they were immature. 
Here was a church that believed they had it all together, that they were somehow spiritual. But we find that the church was not spiritual. The church was worldly. And Paul writes to this church over and over again with the problems that this church has. A matter of fact, you, I think you know that 1 Corinthians is not the first letter that Paul wrote to this church. And 2 Corinthians is not the second letter. There were four letters that Paul wrote to this church. And two must have been so bad that God didn't want us to have them. This church is a mess. And Paul goes on and describes them in detail. He says, you're arrogant. Your pride is disgusting before the sight of God. Not only that, you're divisive. I mean, you're looking to have groups and cliques and splits in the church. You're schismatic. You have a group of people who follow your celebrity pastor. We're of Paul, and we're of Apollos, and we're of Cephas, and this is who we follow. This is our group. He goes on to say that they're actually, and and fathom this now, there are actually people in the church who are suing other believers in their church. Can you imagine if such a thing? That we come together on Sunday, and on Monday we see the lawyer and take it before outsiders and sue each other. What a mess. And if you think that's bad, this situation, Paul says, look, it is commonly reported among you. This is not something in the closet no one knew about. This is common. People know in your church. And this act of 1 Corinthians 5, 1 is so bad that Paul says, pagan people don't do this. As bad as everything else was, pagan people don't do this. The problem with the Corinthian church was that the Corinthian church looked like Corinthian culture. The world was in the church, and they had normalized sin. And Paul now uses these letters to show how to be Christ's people in the midst of an ungodly culture. Believe it or not, this chapter is a call to holiness for the church and for the individual, and it's a call for cleansing for the church and for the individual. So, verses 1 through 5, the sin, right? The evidence is clear. The sin has been identified. The church is aware The community is aware. And Paul says, you ought to be mourning, weeping, distraught about what's happening in your church. And they weren't. Now stay with me today, and this is really important. Sin does not ruin the church. It can't. Do you know why? Because the church is made up of sinners. The church is made up of sinners. There's not a person in this room, no matter how you title yourself, saved or lost, we are all sinners. The difference is there are sinners who have been saved by the grace of God, and there are sinners this morning who are lost without God. That's the difference. But we're all in the same boat. Sin does not ruin the church. 
what ruins a church is unconfessed sin that we excuse or unaddressed sin that the church ignores. And Paul says, you've ignored this. The congregation has turned a blind eye to what was happening. They should be mourning over this situation, and they weren't. And now we come to verse 5, which I have to tell you, is a crazy verse. Listen to verse 5. Here's what Paul says to the church now. He's assessed the situation. He's cast judgment already on the situation. And here's what he says about this man in this sin. To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know. I know we don't. We've never had a church business meeting where this came up and said, you know what we ought to do? We ought to vote that we turn this believer over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. We have not done that yet. Yet. And I don't know that there's any church minutes anywhere that has this statement. But here's what Paul says. Paul says, I've made a judgment now, and my judgment is this, that the church should turn this one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Now, there's lots of debate. What is he talking about? What does that mean? What does it look like? Let me help you. I don't know exactly what he's talking about. But here's what's going on. This is a believer in the church. This is not somebody who just came through the doors. This is a man who professes faith in Jesus Christ. He is a member of that congregation. They know him, and he says, Jesus is my Savior. He is now in open, flagrant, rebellious sin and will not heed correction from anyone. He's okay with it, and right now the church is okay with it. And Paul says, because of that, he's got to go. So what does it mean, Satan? I I don't know, but the very least, here's what it means. Paul is telling the church, For the sake of purity and testimony, cast him out of the church and let sin have its way. Because, listen to me, sin will always destroy everything. Everything. I don't care who you are. I don't care how smart you think you are. I don't care how you got all your things together and you think you're the exception. No one's the exception. And outside of the the safety, the umbrella of the church, with accountability, Preaching and teaching, this guy is left outside of the church so that he, by his sinful lifestyle, will be destroyed. Believer, open your eyes. Your sin and my sin, if left undone, will destroy us. You're not the exception. He wasn't the exception. And Paul says, cast him out. But now watch this. He says, so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. And this is important because our church does believe in discipline. Our church does believe in correction. But the ultimate goal is this, so that he eventually could be redeemed. Right? The ultimate goal of discipline is, of course, for the purity of the congregation, but it's for reclaiming the individual. The hope is when you cast that person out, that when sin has its way and now there's nothing, he's been destroyed, he will see the error of his way, he'll know he's outside of fellowship with the church, He will repent and come back. That is the goal. It's not to shoot our wounded. It's not, you're disgusting, get out of here. It's we love you enough to say, stop. 
you're destroying yourself. And if you're left here, you're going to destroy everyone around you. That's the way it works. It's remedial. It's for a cure. It's redemptive. Look at verse number 6. He says, your glorying is not good. He's addressing the church now. And we don't know what the glorying looks like on this. It was either that the church was so proud of their knowledge, right, that they knew we have knowledge and the flesh is not a big deal, it's more spiritual, or if they were boasting about their freedom that said, hey, we have grace. So grace tells us I can do anything I want to do. Grace does not tell you that. But that's what they thought. And they were glorying, and Paul said, it's not good. Why? Well, Paul tells us, look at verse 6 again. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? How many folks, you've never heard that statement before, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? That's completely new to you. Anybody like that this morning? Okay, a few folks. Good, good. How many folks then, you've heard that statement? Okay, you know what it means, right? Um, Now listen, leaven's a little different than yeast, okay, in this particular passage. When the folks in the Bible days, Old Testament, New Testament, when they were making bread, they would take a piece of the loaf out, put it in storage, add juices to it, and, and, and sort of promote the fermentation process so that the next week when they made bread, they would take this piece of fermented bread now, leaven, yeast, and, and add it to the batch. right? And this would keep on going on and on. That, that's how the bread would rise. It's, it's, we would, it'd be like sourdough. Don't you love sourdough? Love sourdough. You should taste sourdough um, croutons from Cracker Barrel. They're unbelievable, right? But this is the idea. It's sourdough, right? But if you allow that piece to continue to ferment, it will spoil the entire loaf. It will ruin everything. And that's what he's talking about. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. What he means by that is this. A little sin, unchecked in our lives or the life of the church, can cause catastrophic damage. My brother or sister, listen to me. I've been at this long enough, almost 30 years. And it always starts out with a little sin. But it never stops there. It never stops there. And so Paul says, listen to me. The purity of the church is important. It's important for our relationship to God. It's important for our witness in the world. Look at verse 7. So you understand what he's saying. He's saying a little leaven leavens a whole lump. This sin in the church, if you let it go, will ruin the entire church. Verse 7. Purge out the old leaven. Purge out the old leaven. Okay, let me ask you a question. And maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Maybe if we read a little bit further, you would know this. What's he alluding to when he says purge out the old leaven? Not just the church situation, but he's going back to something in the Old Testament. Do you know what he's talking about? What's that? The Passover. That's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's going to allude now to Passover. He's going to make a point. And, and here's where you've got to stay with me, because the point he's making is important to you and I. Remember the Passover? The Passover event, the greatest act of deliverance in Israel's history. They were in bondage. They were afflicted. 400 years. 
And God says, listen to me, in a moment, I am going to deliver you, and here's what you have to do. You've got to take an innocent lamb. Bring it into your home. Examine it. And if it's pure and perfect, on the night that I tell you, kill it. Shed its blood. And I want you to take that blood and apply it to the door. Put it on the post, put it on the two sides, put it on the top. And that night when I come to bring deliverance, every door that I see the blood, I will pass over. And you will be saved. And you will be delivered. And every door without the blood, the firstborn, will perish. And God said this, in a night it will happen so quick that you will not have time to see your bread rise. Keep your shoes on. Get your stuff packed, because when this happens, Egypt will expel you. They're going to kick you out. They're going to give you everything they can. You're going to spoil the nation. And this is my plan. And so they do it, and God delivers an entire nation. An entire nation overnight is born by the greatest act of deliverance in Israel's history. And after that, God said, now listen, every year... I want you to celebrate and remember the Passover. And so they do. They they would shed the the blood of the lamb. They would eat as a family. But one thing that they did was to remember that night was they would purge their home for a week of leaven. They would take a candle and search their houses to make sure there was no sign whatsoever of leaven. I think Judy used to work with a Jewish family that every time Passover came up, they would put all of their leaven into a container and Take it out of the house and give it to their Gentile neighbors, right? Right? No leaven. Give it to the goyim. They annoy him. Give it to the Gentiles. Give that. We don't want it here. And they were diligent to search out to make sure there was not one trace, not one trace of leaven. Why? Because the leaven symbolized their affliction, the haste that they left, and eventually leaven came to symbolize the sin of the community. And so symbolically what they're saying is, God, this Passover is important to us. We comprehend our deliverance and our redemption. And we want to do everything we can for this, these seven days to make sure that our house is pure. Our house is right. No leaven whatsoever. It's, it's really symbolic. It's really beautiful. It's really powerful. And this is what Paul is alluding to. He says, purge out the old leaven. Now, Can you guess what he's saying in verse 7 in relationship to this church? When he says, church, purge out the old leaven, who's he talking about? Because he's talking about somebody here. He's talking about the man who sinned. He said, this leaven will permeate the entire church. Again, not because he's a sinner. We're all sinners. But because of unrepentant sin unaddressed, unconfessed. He says, purge him out. And then he says this in verse 7. This man should be taken from fellowship. Purge out the old leaven that you might be a new lump. What a word to describe the church. A lump. I think that's probably accurate at times. Lumpy, right? But he says, purge him out because, listen, you shouldn't be part of that old lump of sin and unrepentance, degenerate activity You are a new lump. And it's important to understand this. The individuals of the church make up the body of Christ. 
you, me, collectively. God sees this church, the community sees this church, and he says, you need to be a new lump, a new batch. Now watch this next statement in verse 7, and I find it shocking. He says, purge out the old leaven, that you might be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. He's talking to the church. So listen, get rid of this guy, bad apple, not repenting. You need to be a new lump because you are unleavened. You are without sin. You are righteous. What what blows my mind about this is two things. He's talking to the Corinthian church. That's a mess. And yet Paul sees grace in them. Why? Because of the salvation of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And what he's saying is, positionally now, you as a church, you are clean. You are pure. You're not leavened. So your position should become actuality. And again, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. Are you with me? Are you still, are you with me? Okay. Not talking about, oh, we're all perfect here. That's not the point. The point is that for the believer, there is something within that says, God, I want to be clean. Because you are clean. You are holy. I am this new lump, this new batch. I'm righteous. Not because of me. I'm righteous because of him. And the righteousness I have today in my position is that I am saved, I am redeemed, I am born again, I am bought with a price, I am a son or daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, uh, be who you are. It's a call for cleansing. And then he says this, he says, for even Christ our Lord is sacrificed for us. He goes from the old leaven to the new lump, and now he wants us to think about the Lord. Our Passover has been sacrificed for us. As God saved Israel through the Lamb, God now saves all people through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His blood purifies and protects from the destroyer. And you need to think about this a little bit this morning. Because as we look back in the Old Testament and think about the Lamb that was slaughtered year after year after year after year after year after year, Hebrews says, That doesn't happen anymore. Our lamb was just not an animal that was slain for us. Our lamb was the lamb of God which took away the sins of the world. Our lamb was Jesus Christ. Our lamb was God incarnate in the flesh that walked among us. And the God from whom we need to be saved from is the very God who gave his life to save us. Can you just stop for a minute and think about that? Christ, our Passover, his blood applied, the destroyer kept at bay. We are delivered. We are ransomed. We are redeemed. We are set free because of Jesus Christ. And the death of Christ is supposed to affect change in our moral behavior. Paul uses this connection with Passover and unleavened bread to empower believers to have victory over the sin in our own personal lives. And it's the only way to have power. We come here this morning, and we will, we will sit, and we will look at the bread, which reminds us of the body. We'll look at the cup, which reminds us of the blood. 
And what we're doing is, what we ought to be doing is, vividly remembering. And as we remember that day, we should be loving and adoring and awestruck and overcome with the fact that Christ was our Passover. Because it is in this thought and this truth that delivers us in our own life from the leaven of sin. My brother and sister, listen to me. We can try to do our best. To, I'm going to stop doing this, and I'm st- this struggle here, and I, I got to stop this. But the truth is, our flesh is way too powerful. Our deliverance comes when we think deeply and profoundly and long and hard about what Christ did for us. When we see him and love him and adore him, guess what? Those things that had our attention, that pulled us, now they pale in comparison. Now I can serve and love and be clean as he's designed. Listen to what Piper said. He said, I know of no other way to triumph over sin long term than to gain a distaste for it because of the supremacy or the superior satisfaction of God. And that's the truth. This morning, we come... We ought to be thinking about this table and understanding the only way for long-term deliverance in whatever sin and struggle we have is Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection, his love for us. Paul is speaking now to individuals. Verse number 8. In light of this now, Paul says, Therefore, because of what I just said, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And Paul reminds us that the Christian life is a continual feast of honoring our redemption. That's what we're doing. We're remembering what we're saved from. And he says, not only be clean, but he says celebrate. Celebrate this feast. Celebrate what we're doing, not with malice or wickedness, but sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth means unmixed with impurity. The idea is this. Now, because of Christ, our Passover, we come to this table, we think about what he has done, what he's accomplished, and so my life now is to be one of sincerity and truth, meaning it's unmixed. It's pure in the sense that my words, my profession, my faith, my convictions line up with my life. You know, the world's in a mess today. You can blame the world for the mess, but you know, meat will rot if left alone. Salt can preserve it. But if the salt has lost its savor and its saltiness, it's good for nothing. And Paul is reminding us for believers the struggles we have, we can be victorious when not just at this table this morning, but every day of the week looking back to our redemption and saying, Jesus, you were my Passover. And the sin that I go back to, this sin that seems to captivate my heart, this sin that I struggle with, you died. You suffered. You bled for that sin. Forgive me, how can I take pleasure in that which killed my very best friend? 
And so, this morning we come. We come to the Passover. Our Passover. It's not a lamb. Oh, it is a lamb. It's a lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As we come this morning, let us be honest with our God and honest with our hearts. For some of us, your struggle and your battle, my struggle and my battle, can be won when we take this event seriously. And that's not hyperbole. I'm not exaggerating this morning. I'm telling you the truth. There is no long-term deliverance in our battle with sin and our bondage until this becomes beautiful, glorious, so that when he's lifted up, everything that draws my attention pales in comparison. May we rejoice this morning. May we keep the feast continually with sincerity and truth. Let's pray.